I'm Claire Fallon. And I'm Emma Gray. And this is Love to See It, an obsessively detailed recap podcast about reality dating shows like The Bachelor and other pop culture that makes us laugh, cry, and curse the patriarchy. We can't live with these shows and we can't live without them, but we can break down every juicy moment and unpack all the weird messages these shows send us about love, sex, and dating. Hey guys, before we begin, we have a little bit of very exciting news. We are doing a live online show with Moment House on Sunday, July 10th. It's been a year since we relaunched As Love to See It with Stitcher. It's been also three years since we did our first and last mini live tour. And guys, it's been seven years since we first recapped a Bachelor show together as Here to Make Friends. It's been a lot of milestones in the last seven years, and we're so excited to be celebrating with, at last, another live event, this time from our couch. And we hope you will all join us from your couches, wine in hand. Our very first season on Here to Make Friends was actually Caitlin and Britt's legendary two bachelorette pileup. So now with a new, um, we hope, fingers crossed, less problematic two bachelorette season coming up, we decided to rewatch Caitlin and Britt's utterly bizarre two-night premiere. It's so uncomfortable, and we're ready to re-enter that time in our lives. We're going to laugh, we're going to cry, especially when revisiting Chris Harrison's truly painful comments about whether the show was pitting two women against each other. And we're going to review our own first-ever recap, which was like 30 minutes, and we... I don't think we even did a pilot. We just we just went out there and got started. We and were little baby podcasters. <laughs> we didn't know what we were doing. Um, and you will get to hear us roast ourselves. So, you know, yeah. it'll be fun for you. <laughs> we truly can't <laughs> wait. Um, I am afraid to re-listen to it, but I'm going to do it for art. You can buy tickets at momenthouse.com slash love to see it. They are $15, but for the first 48 hours, they're just $10. We'll link the ticket info in our show notes. And now, welcome to Love to See It, a podcast about the Madonna whore dichotomy and hair pomade. It's week two of our Summer Lovin' miniseries, and we are discussing the movie that made Summer Lovin' into not just an idea, but of course, a timeless duet featuring John Travolta and Olivia Newton-John, Grease. Mm, yes. Joining us for today's Grease Club is Emmy Award-winning, Last Week Tonight writer, Vulture Bachelor recapper, and all-around legend, Allie Barthwell. Allie, your presence, as always, is a gift. Thank you for being here. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Grease is the word. It's got groove. It's got feeling. <laughs> oh, my gosh. My thoughts. Exactly. Wow. You really nailed it. Where did you ever come up with such poetic <laughs> language? It wasn't me. It was the Gibbs, honestly. <laughs> Oh, gosh. I'm so excited to talk about Grease, which I realized as I was prepping for this episode that I 
had never seen. I thought that I had seen it. I think that I was maybe mixing up a couple specific numbers I'd seen with a stage version I saw of Bye Bye Birdie when I was in elementary school. Ah, yes, a different Mm -hmm. show. Yeah, completely different show. So let's talk about this. When did each of you first see Grease? I was definitely under the age of 10. Like, when I first saw Grease... Almost all of the references went over my head, and I was just like, what a fun (laughs) musical this is. Like, it took me, like, many watches and years to understand that there was, like, an accidental pregnancy subplot. Like, that just, whoop. Uh, Yeah. But I saw it as a child and loved it, it kind of immediately. And obviously, my thoughts have gotten a little more more complicated as I've gotten older. <laughs> yeah, I think in my group of friends, it was definitely the thing everyone saw when they were eight, seven or eight or something. Yeah. And I was the last one to see it. And I was, because even it was not part of the like film canon in my house. Like, I don't know how many like black people are like really lining up to show their kids Grease. And so I remember being at a sleepover at my friend Abby's house. And it came and we were like, and everyone was like, oh, we should watch Grease. And I was like, I've never seen Grease. And it was like, you've never seen Grease. So then my first <laughs> Grease viewing was we we're sitting Allie down in the like clockwork orange chairs. And we have to like have her absorb this whole musical. And anything, anytime anyone forces me to watch something like that, I'm like, I don't like this. This is weird. I'm not having fun. And because I think I was a little older, I didn't have like very young childhood associations with it. So even my first viewing, I was like, what's happening? Like, (laughs) they're making fun of this woman. They do not like Sandy at all. She is no one's friend in this movie. And then later in middle school, so I was maybe like 12, like 11 or 12. We were having sleepovers. It was like 11 or 12. And then our middle school went to, they did this thing where you would go see Broadway show, like Chicago, Broadway and Chicago shows mm-hmm. as like an after school activity or like an evening. You could pay a fee and you'd get like discount tickets and they'd take a bunch of kids. And Greece came to like a dinner theater out in the suburbs. So my teacher was like, of course, we'll go see Greece. That show is filthy. It is <laughs> raunchy and dirty and... Like, this song, Grease Lightning, is disgusting. Oh, oh my God. Yeah. And, we will get to that. Like, even more than in the movie, like, it is filthy. And <laughs> Wait, that was a toned-down version? Yes. Everything in the movie is really toned down. <laughs> what? Every, it's, like, it's all... And, cause I, and there's a lot more... There's a lot more just... Everything is very... All the stuff that's sort of implicit and innuendo in the movie, it's, a, it's more explicit in the show. And... <laughs> And I remember even like, so then we were maybe 12 or 13 and I remember, and a bunch of us were sitting together and being like, we shouldn't see this. Like, this isn't for us. Like, this is dirty. Are Why we, is no we one were protecting like, us from this? We were like, are we were like, are we going to get in trouble? Like, what's going to happen? Oh my God. <laughs> so then like my, like really, Greece has been again, like t- t- tied up in a lot of formative social moments, but it's one of those like movies that you know, my boyfriend really likes and he sort of jokes about 
you know, seeing it a lot as a kid. His mom really liked it. His his parents were in town, so we were all hanging out as a big family. And like, his mom was like, "Ah, oh, that's so great." And I was talking to my mom about it, and she was like, "And Travolta at his best, like it's very." <laughs> <laughs> so there's just like a lot floating in the ether around Greece. <laughs> The first, there I really think this is. weekend watching the movie was when I first understood that John Travolta used to be really handsome. Oh yeah, like yeah. I, there oh, were moments yes. when he when he like twinkles at the camera, and I was like, oh, he was like actually cute. He I was, sort of thought it was like a mass psychosis. No, no, that, no. Like, he was very <laughs> handsome between that and like Saturday Night Fever. Well, they, like they came out like the same right, year, that right? Was and the that thing. was like. I think that was my first introduction to John Travolta. And then, so my feeling about him was always like, ah, oh, really went downhill. Yeah. Yeah, for me, <laughs> the gossip blog variation of John Travolta came first. Ah, uh, yeah. yes. And I understand is... the confusion then. <laughs> yeah. He did, he did Saturday Night Fever. And I think it's the same director or producer. So he did Saturday Night Fever. And then that same director was going to do Grease and was like, it has to be John Travolta. Because, and Jeff Conway had been Zuko on Broadway. Yeah. And so that Jeff Conway's Kanicki, and then Travolta is Zuko. And they even took a couple songs. Like, I think Grease Lightning is a Kanicki song in the stage yeah. version and gave it to Travolta because he was the star. Like, I'm pretty sure John Travolta had also been in the stage version. He was he was duty. Yeah, he was duty. One of the like guy, one the guy that the other T the other T birds. One of the other T birds. Yeah, he was just like racking up the solos. Meanwhile, apparently Sandy's character doesn't have a solo, and they just wrote in her one hopelessly devoted to you, hopelessly devoted to you, like at the end of filming because her contract <laughs> demanded a solo, which is fair, to be honest. Sandy and very fair. That is also literally why they hired Olivia Newton-John. Like, she was a pop star. Right. Right. And it has that feel of, like, we're just going to put a 1978 pop ballad in the middle of this yeah. 1950s pastiche musical. <laughs> Same with the, the opening credit song that is Grease, sung by Frankie Valli, written by, I think it's Barry Gibb, wrote it. I so love it's a it. song. Sung by Frankie Valley, and my boyfriend pointed out he was like, "How do you do a Frankie Valley song written by the Bee Gees with no falsetto?" But they pulled it off. <laughs> <laughs> it's in everyone's lower register, but it's like it's a disco song. Like the opening oh, yeah. song is a disco song, so it does sort of have this like the whole movie feels sort of timeless because yes. it's like fake fifties. There's early like late seventies, early eighties pop songs in it. There's disco numbers. Like it it's feels actually very the exact like out of time. Same. It's the exact same thing that happened with the first movie we discussed last week, which was yes, Dirty Dancing. I was just going to say, it's very interesting to follow Dirty Dancing with this. We had a movie made in the 80s about the 60s, mixing the music. And now we have a movie made in the 70s about the 50s. And yet all of us, you know, <laughs> consumed these movies without that kind of specific cultural context because... You know, we weren't in uh, both of those, you know, all of those yeah. times felt I think, like. I think when I was a kid, I thought this was a movie from the 50s. Oh, I was yeah. like, yeah. if it takes place in the time, it was it made in that It has same to time. be. Yes. <laughs> we were talking about this last week that I had no concept that period pieces existed before the, the like, exactly right now when I was a kid. So I was like, <laughs> if it's an old movie and it happened in the 50s, then it was made in the 50s, obviously. I was like, wow. Um, John Travolta <laughs> looks great for being a smooth, like, 75 <laughs> in the 90s or whatever. He was a teen in the 50s. <laughs> it's actually very impressive. Yeah. Um, 
But let's get into the plot a little bit. We're not going to do quite as blow by blow as we normally do for The Bachelor um, because we want to talk about some themes at the end of the plot. So let's let's just go through the broader stuff. Claire is going to shepherd us through Mm -hmm. this twisty and turny (laughs) musical. But everyone feel feel free, please, to interject with commentary. Um, So we open with Sandy and Danny, two innocent young 17-year-olds who I would say look like they're between 25 and 35. That's true for every character in this <laughs> oh, whole yeah. Oh, yes. yes. If I mean, if you're some 30, of them look, you look closer 50. to 50. Like, if, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think, like, the youngest person in the, like, high schoolers was maybe, like, 20. So every, At no, no yeah. one is the correct age. No, 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 no. Yeah. And Stalker no. Channing is just, like, a simply 15 years older. <laughs> yeah. like. For the first 20 minutes of the movie, I was just constantly going to Google, how old were Olivia Newton-John and John Travolta in Greece? How old was Stalker Channing in Greece? How old was Michael Tucci in Greece? That's just my <laughs> Google history. It was just, yeah. how old were all of these people? And they were all like 25 to 35. Um, but they're just two young innocents, and they've just spent a magical summer falling in love at the shore before returning to their normal lives. And Sandy is Australian, of course, because she's Olivia Newton-John. And she will be returning to Australia from just a beach in the U.S. where she spent her whole summer for reasons that are not disclosed. (laughs) It's not important, Claire. It's not important. She's there. Um, (laughs) This California summer romance, cross-country, (laughs) cross-continents. Danny is like, don't worry, Sandy, it's not over. This is only the beginning of our epic love story. Curiously, they do not exchange any contact information. It's going to be like serendipity. It's just going to happen. And and he almost like this is going jumping ahead a little bit. But when he, he it's like he thought she died, like when he sees her again, when he realizes that she continued to exist on this plane of existence. He had no object permanence with this woman. I don't know. Frankly, that's very high school boy. Yes. He was like, he was like this was is just this- the beginning for us, baby. Anyway. Yeah, there was a chick. He's once. like, that's She's just a gone thing now. that I think I should say. Right but now, back to being a T bird and ruling the school. <laughs> and it's like, what's the point? Like, is he hoping that in the future, if they ever run into each other, she'll finally put out if he makes this promise now? Yes, like, I think what's what's his plan? Every every character's secret want is. To have someone put out. Like, it doesn't matter who, doesn't it, matter where. I wouldn't even say it's, like, a secret one right. for <laughs> most of them. I'd say it's, like, quite literally laid out. <laughs> it's very textual. Uh, cut to Rydell High School, where Danny is returning to his greaser gang, the Thunderbirds, who all, I would say, look like they're not only 40 years old, but they work at a family accounting firm. You know, these are very, like, staid, middle-aged men in matching leather jackets. (laughs) And what do you know? Sandy is beginning there as a transfer student. She is now clearly marked as a bit of a square in her long, long yellow skirt and matching sweater. But she has one friend, Frenchie, who is coincidentally one of the pink ladies who are sort of the female counterparts of the Thunderbirds. They date the guys in the Thunderbirds. They all hang out together. They also wear matching jackets. Incredible. (laughs) The moment, the first time you see Rizzo, like she appears and you're just like, wow, that is what a badass woman looks like. That is the coolest person I've ever seen in my life. 
like it, it and she has like a big old a big wide belt a little crop short sleeve button up like a pencil skirt and, and the it, pink jacket the like pink over, jacket her over her shoulders Ugh. but you're just like this is this is an incredible and you know give it up to the pink ladies but marty maraschino is the only one that's like close to like serving what rizzo is serving like you definitely feel like <laughs> rizzo is in charge here Oh, yeah. It's an ensemble. Like, they definitely have, like, the clown who's just, like, really goofy. And then you have Frenchie who's, like, sweet but not quite working with what she thinks she's working with. Rizzo is, like, the undisputed queen of the group. But, like, to make matching pink bedazzled jackets look that cool and badass really takes a lot. So I have to hand it to (laughs) Rizzo in particular. Um, and to the group as a whole. Also, I'm left with a big question here. How does Sandy know Frenchie? Again. Or anyone. Unimportant. She's unimportant. there. She has a friend. <laughs> Her name is Frenchie, who arguably is like the only good friend in the entire movie to anyone. Yeah. Frenchie's a good friend. And she's trying to coach Sandy through this first day at school. And Sandy's like, I don't know. I just really miss my old school. But I'm no stranger to hop break (laughs) it's like what the what are you talking about like it okay all-time non sequitur to me but I guess we're supposed to connect the heartbreak of leaving her old high school and the heartbreak of leaving Danny Zuko at the beach Frenchie doesn't follow up on this but we'll get to it later now it's time for a duet to their respective groups Danny and Sandy describe their relationship in a classic song called Summer Lovin' Sandy is at lunch with the Pink Ladies for the first time. Danny is on the bleachers with the Thunderbirds, giving their own sort of individual spins on their hot summer fling. Hers is more romantic. <laughs> His is more like, yeah. we made out. Fuck yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it very much plays into, I think it's sort of, this is where this like trope comes in of like, the woman thinks that they were in love and the man was yeah. just trying to get laid. And all of, and like everyone's friends is just feeding into that. Yeah, like I think it's also like up. establishing the the clear gender roles of the society of the school, right? Like Danny is performing his role yes. as the leader of the T-Birds and he's a, he's got to be manly. He's got to make women put out. Like that's his role. That is how he maintains authority. <laughs> that's the most like subversive, like, smart thing that the show does with Danny's character is that he doesn't really want to be so cold and, like, sex-obsessed about Sandy. He really purely loves her, like, with a romantic heart, but he has to put on a front, right? Like, the guys expect him to be like, yeah. Yeah, he (laughs) could never tell them that they were holding hands and walking along the beach. They will not accept that, so he has to perform, for the men, it's like a, it is like a sexual yes. performance for the men. Like I will remind you of my se- my male friends of my sexual prowess. The homosocial oh, yeah. uh, peacocking in this movie is out of control. Also, yeah. like I thought it, the the different way they describe how they meet is sort of funny in the similar way that she's like, oh yeah, he went by me and got my swimsuit wet and was like showing off, splashing around. Which putting aside the double entendre, she's basically like he was making a big like. <laughs> fool of himself to impress me and he's like oh she couldn't even swim she got a cramp so I had to rescue her (laughs) and those are both like completely 
um, different ideas of what happened that are informed by, like, her idea of, like, oh, men, you know, they're always just, like, boasting. And he's like, oh, women, they're incompetent. They need us to save them. Yeah. And I love all the, like, little of just sort of, like, everyone's expectations of the relationship. Did he buy you anything? Yeah. Did he have a car? And then on the male side. Did she put out? Did she put up a fight? Or she put up a fight? Yeah, she put up a fight. Which is, like, another thing, like, running through this whole... Oh, yeah. do you mean the sex like, crimes? Yeah. The sex the sex pests and the sex crimes. I had crimes a running list just, of like, sex crimes in my notes. We have to just convince women <laughs> to have sex with us because they yeah. don't want to. We can we cajole. We can physically force that. These are the options. Yeah. Uh, but again, if you sort of, like, at, we were talking a little bit of, like, this started as a Grease started as sort of a satirical musical. It's in Chicago and then moved through all these different iterations on stage and then became a movie. And there is like, you know, I was watching me like there is a reading of it that it's like, this is stupid. Like right. that anyone would that this is how the sexuality, the sexual like relationships worked, that women had to say no, men had to push. And the I issue. think we'll get we'll get into this more later, but it's true. It's like there is something about the way that the movie has culturally taken hold that strips it of all the kind of cultural specificity and the context when you consider that it's, like, about the 50s, about a specific subculture made in the 70s. Like, there, it's a lot more complicated than just being, like, oh, this is just straight-up crazy misogyny. Like, that is one yeah, layer right. of it, or but like, there are this other— is how it, This is how right. it really and was. This is, or, or, like, this is what <laughs> the creators were, like, endorsing— in in their creation mm-hmm. of it, and I think uh, there's there's a, yeah. a lot more to Greece than I understood. As someone as someone who didn't yeah. watch it but was more familiar with it from like the cultural zeitgeist around it or whatever, I definitely did not approach it thinking that it would be spoofing the anything really. I thought it was like supposed right. to be very straight faced, and so that was interesting to encounter. But let's let's pick up with the end of Summer mm-hmm. Lovin, Sandy tells the the girls that the boy's name is Danny Zuko. And Rizzo, as it happens, used to date Danny. And she is like, wow, this is about to be a very interesting situation. Yeah. She's, like, she's oh, like, I think I'm he sounds peachy keen. <laughs> yep. And everyone else like shits a brick. They're like, oh God, Rizzo's about to go on a rampage. Rizzo has her own schemes that, will come to naught, but she's excited at this point. No one tells her that Danny goes to Rydell. They're just like, oh, maybe you'll see him again someday. <laughs> okay, bye. Have fun Bad class. friends. Even at this Frenchy. point, even Frenchie. <laughs> Next, we attend a pep rally, which is like nothing I've ever seen before. At this pep rally, there is what appears to be an opposing football player being hung and or burned in effigy. Um, the speech <laughs> is incredibly violent. The whole thing, I do think on second viewing is very much meant to be a parody of pep rallies oh, and yeah. football culture because it is so over the top. Yeah, you have this, like, I was just going to say, there is something about the pep rally that, like, the language is so aggressive, but all of the people who actually populate the football team and the coach are, like, pretty dweeby. <laughs> yeah. Right. But they're like, yeah. we're going to murder them. I, I went, my high school, I went to a very big high school. We had a lot of sports programs and, like, even have produced, like, pro athletes, like, from my high school. But our football team, 
basically starting from like the year 2000 to now has been terrible. Like we've never been like, we had just never been good since the year two for like a full two decades. And, but we, they would still make us do pep rallies and like get ready for the, Same so there was alley. sort of this like, I, yeah. this like eye roll from the students of like, we know this isn't going to happen. Yeah. Like we know you guys are bad. Like being a football player at my high school didn't get you any kind of like, Social oh my god! Yeah. Had a so very like watching... very similar situation at my high also, school. Like, yeah, we had a similar even to Greece that like our cheerleaders weren't that cool either. So you'd have these pep rallies where the cheerleaders were like cheering for the football team, and no one was like impressed by the cheerleaders or the football team because none of them were the cool kids. But it's just the thing to do, <laughs> right? You have to do it. Right. And all the hot girls were soccer players and. So were the the boys were all soccer players, the hot boys. So we should have just had soccer pep rallies, I guess, <laughs> to capitalize <laughs> off of that. Um, but Sandy, unfortunately, has thrown her lot in with the cheerleaders. She has put on the really long cheerleading skirt and has the really long pom-poms. And she's flirting with the quarterback, the lumpy quarterback. But after the pep rally, she runs into none other than Danny Zuko in the parking lot. And he is so excited to see her raised from the dead <laughs> or from down under. And then he realizes that all the Thunderbirds are seeing him act like so girly and emotionally happy um, to see someone that he loves. And he's like, yeah, no, I mean, what? Like, nothing. Like, and a rolling <laughs> and a... <laughs> We're just a rock. <laughs> and it's like, oh, John Travolta is a, a comedic genius. He is a star. <laughs> <laughs> He he does an incredible turn in this scene, uh, trying to play off his excitement at seeing her and instead coming off as kind of a, a gibbering idiot. And Sandy's heartbroken. She's like, I wish I'd never met you. And Frenchie invites her to a sleepover to comfort her where she... Ooh, we also get, I just have to point out, the iconic Frenchie line... Men are rats. No, they're <laughs> yeah. the fleas on rats. No, they're the amoebas on fleas on rats. The dogs wouldn't even can't even bite them. Oh, yeah. I love Frenchie. So good. <laughs> She's so good. She like that is the most wise thing anyone says in this <laughs> in entire the whole movie. <laughs> movie. And she she has Sandy and the pink ladies over for a sleepover. She tries to pierce Sandy's ears because she's about to be a beautician. So obviously she knows what she's doing. Um, the girls are all writing to their boyfriends, and Sandy is just pensive because she's so heartbroken over Danny. And this is when we get her classic solo, Hopelessly Devoted to You, which she sings in the front yard of Frenchie's house while sort of drowning a piece of pink stationery in a paddling <laughs> pool. In a kiddie pool. What? was that decision i just wrote down hopelessly devoted to you why does she like this guy they've barely had any conversations they haven't even banged what's happening here all summer they were having really deep conversations that we just will never know no and they were they allegedly happened off screen it's very convenient actually how much of the development of this relationship gets to happen <laughs> off screen on a beach somewhere yeah. far months before this movie even happened. We also have to mention that uh, Rizzo like lightly tortures Sandy at this sleepover. And we get the yes. great song, Look at Me, I'm Sandra D. Yeah. Which, okay, so is there a version of Sandra D that is Sandy kind of doing it in her 
sexy outfit? Or is that completely just Mandela affected into my mind? She does Not, in the movie. She does a the, that reprise the rep- where they're at the ditch. Yeah, right. Maybe there's a stage version. I of think it? it's possible that I just had gathered the impression that when she came in in her like cat suit that she was like look at me I'm Sandra <laughs> oh no, no that no, did no, not happen it's about, that didn't happen because it is a like satirical song about Sandra D the actress right it's like right. it's like how the Berenstain Bears um, people think that it's actually the Berenstain Bears or something that's what I thought for a long time exactly yeah. and I think there's a lot all the like. Uh, actor references and stuff are about uh, the actress and like some of those even like those lines thrown again it's sort of this like mix up mash of like about Rock Hudson and all that stuff yeah it's a lot of period specific references about Hollywood in that time period and then also operating as like a roast of this Sandy also feels worth noting that in the original stage production she was Sandy D because her mm. original last name was Dombrowski in the right. stage production. And then they just chose another name for her that didn't start with D, which is an unforced <laughs> error. They could have named her anything, including Dombrowski, by the way. There are Polish people in Australia, I'm sure. Um, but that was the decision they made. Now she's just Sandy Sandra D for no reason. After this little... Um, sleepover. Sandy hasn't really clicked with the pink lady. So she starts hanging out more with this quarterback. She starts dating the blonde oafish quarterback. <laughs> they get sodas together at the diner. Meanwhile, Knicky has bought a junker to fix up so that he can race at Thunder Road, which is a ditch, as you <laughs> mentioned, Allie. And <laughs> This is, of course, the subject of Grease Lightning, a song about how the car could be, and I'm going to try to put this really delicately, a total pussy magnet. Yes. I was not prepared for this song whatsoever. And I'm sure I've heard it, but I was just never paying attention. The weird thing is I've heard this song so many times and thought I knew a lot of the lyrics, but hadn't, like, close listened. Hadn't watched it with closed captions yeah, on, which is what I was on. And I was like, wait, I thought it was the chicks will scream. Uh, oh, no, the chicks will the cream. The chicks will cream. Oh, yeah. Yes. Uh, missed context was, for this me. This was the one that when we saw it as kids, we were like, this is for adults. <laughs> like, this is for grownups. Why are we here? Like, this song, I remember it's it's I mean, filthier. You know that it ain't shit. We'll be getting lots of tit greased lightning. <laughs> like, yeah. I remember, I That's wish the cleaned I, up version. Yeah. Yes. And I also think there's so many, there's like a reference when he's dancing. He, You know, he has the saran wrap. Yeah. That's like choreography from the original. And it's because people used to use saran wrap as condoms or as like dental dams. <laughs> and in the in when they were doing the choreography, they were like, you can't do anything sexual with it. Because I think the original choreography, it had they're like doing T- more tonguing it down. With it. <laughs> right. And he rubs it on his crotch. And that like got past the censors. Oh my but it's, god! But it's one of those things where like I that's why literally they... never questioned that. I was just like, ah, saran wrap, maybe to wrap on the car. Does that protect <laughs> the car? Like I don't know. <laughs> but it's like it's all like everything that's like around them is sort of. And I like I, other times I've when I think I saw it that other time it was very like 
very phallic sort of joking around like swinging yeah that makes sense stuff yeah like that. but it's funny it's almost like they tone it down just enough that instead it almost seems possible that it's just a straight face right it rendition doesn't, it doesn't read as parody anymore because it's right. not ridiculous enough until you watch it a couple of times and you're like this can't be serious right. i mean it's like <laughs> you know that i ain't bragging she's a real pussy wagon <laughs> <laughs> the chicks will cream for Grease Lightning. And then meanwhile, it's a bunch of guys in like tank tops, like gyrating their hips at each other. You know, yeah. It just can't be serious. <laughs> You're like, this is definitely campy, but it's hard yes. to tell whether that was intentional. And then the more you read about it, you're like, oh, no, no, that was the intention. Right. And you get the feeling of, like, for the actors, it probably didn't feel campy, but everyone else around <laughs> is like, oh, my God, I can't believe they're doing it. Like, that is the feel. I mean, that the choreography is also, like, absurd. Yeah. It's well, a lot of fun. even just, like, even, like, when they start the song, <laughs> when they start the song, and it's kind of that give, that back and forth, Right? Like, Kaniki is screaming, like, keep talking, whoa, keep talking. I was like, this is so sexual. Just, like, the way that he delivers the lines, it felt very, like, mid-orgasmic, sort of. It it was very orgasmic. I was like, this is all directed in a way to seem hyper, hyper sexual. Would you say it's automatic? (laughs) Systematic? Hydromatic? I mean, I think you could definitely cut a version of the movie that it's a love triangle between Zuko and Danny in the car. Oh, yeah. Like, that is a version that should exist. Yeah, it sort of is. And in the end, Danny gets the girl, right? Because Kaneki hits his head very lightly on the car and he just can't have the girl anymore. Um, These things happen. Uh, So this song is, is really just a completely broke my brain, but the movie continues. It does become, I would say, a total pussy wagon and allows Kaniki to get with Rizzo. And they have a little fling. Rizzo is, of course, Danny's ex, but she's not going to hang around waiting for Danny to notice her again when she could get with this perfectly serviceable other Thunderbird. Who has a 25-cent insurance policy in his pocket. But oh, wait. (laughs) Big spender. Oh, wait. It's expired. Because he bought it in the seventh seventh grade. In the seventh grade. Adorable. Another reference that took took me years to pick up on. But that was a condom. Oh, yeah. And another point where they're just like, puncturing the image of his carefully crafted image of masculinity. He's never actually needed a condom um, and probably not for the reasons he would like you to think. So they date for a little bit, but they end up breaking up. Um, Meanwhile, Frenchie is on her own path. She goes to beauty school and then she immediately drops out because she has dyed her hair an absolutely perfect shade of pink. Like, I think she should be probably graduating at the top of her class. Well, I think it's that she was going for a normal, natural human color <laughs> and it came out bright pink. You she cannot looks great, though. dye such a perfect <laughs> color by accident. I refuse to believe it. Yeah, right. just that like, requires oh. bleach and then a specific kind of mixing. Yeah, and to get such vibrance on the pink, yeah. I mean, I was really <laughs> impressed. But beauty school is not for her. 
Um, I zoned out for a little bit during this portion of the movie, and suddenly Frankie Valli was singing her a song while wearing Frankie 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 Avalon. Avalon. Frankie Avalon, excuse me. Frankie Avalon is singing her a song. Is not like one of the great singers of the past, but is another like. (laughs) I mean, he what like he of the he's not Frankie Valli was like an iconic singer. There's a lot of like, you know, there's a. I think this was one where they wanted to get. They wanted to get Elvis. They wanted to get, you know, somebody huge. And they got Frankie Avalon. He's great, but he's not. He's not Elvis. <laughs> right. And and I, hopefully for them, filled in a more iconic person in the yes. role. Um, but he, he, I rewound and discovered he is her guardian angel. And he is using this opportunity to tell her to drop out of beauty school and get her degree so she can become a stenographer. Um, meanwhile, Danny has decided that he does want Sandy back. Despite his image, he just misses her too much. But she's dating this quarterback now. She's not really impressed by how weird he acted toward her in front of his friends. She's like, you can't compete with these jocks. Like, I'd need to see that, you know? And so he's like, great, I'm going to become a jock. He goes to the football coach. <laughs> all of this is really funny. Yeah, I like, actually this love this sequence. Up good. It's incredible. <laughs> and he's like, put me to work. Like, I want to do sports now. And the football coach is apparently also in charge of just, just a team of all-purpose jocks who do all of the sports at the same time. So he's like, let's try gymnastics. Let's try basketball. Let's try baseball. None of these sports work out for He gets in fights Danny. with everyone. And so finally, I think <laughs> so the coach funny. is like, a solo He's sport a is for you. <laughs> He's a hitter. He's such a good liner. He's a hitter. It is something that you, I don't think you're supposed to say that about toddlers anymore because it's essentializing, but it is the kind of thing you say about a toddler. <laughs> we got a hitter over here. And again, like the football coach, Sid Caesar, like iconic, iconic comedian like one of the OGs of like late night television. So get like everyone in this movie is a person. You're like everyone in this yeah. movie is like an iconic actor of something. Who wouldn't want to be in on this, right? <laughs> like everyone wants to be in Greece. And so Danny does take up track ultimately and impresses Sandy by just casually running some hurdles in front of her. And they start dating again because that's all she's looking for. She didn't like that lunk who, like, couldn't carry a conversation. No. no. Just stares vacantly into the distance. <laughs> he really is just sort of like a zombie human. Yeah. Like, you see them yeah. sitting together, and he's truly not able to really focus his eyes <laughs> on her face. Um, meanwhile, Rydell High has been selected to have a dance competition televised on National Bandstand, which... This also seems really similar to what happened in Hairspray. I know it's different, but I feel like National Bandstand plays a key role in, like, every musical set in this time period. Right. Well, I think Hairspray is kind of riffing on Grease, too. Like, that it's sort of, like, that it's Hairspray and Grease. Yeah, It's sort of, like, riffing on these same kind of themes. That's a really good point. And then they're both riffing off of American Bandstand, which was a real... Yeah. Thing. And at the at the very beginning, at the announcement, they're like, we were chosen as a representative of a traditional, wholesome high school with good, clean students. Oh, my like, God. Again, it's this sort of very over the top. Yeah. Like, I wrote this down. 
(laughs) It's our chance to show the nation what fine, bright, clean-cut, wholesome students we have here at Rydell. Just every coded word you can think of yeah, strung this, into I, one yeah. sentence. When the, when the dance started, I just wrote down the unbearable whiteness of Greece. Oh like, my again, God. but it does feel that like, okay, we're projecting this very specific teenage image that oh, yeah. all these kids are going to show they don't participate in at all. Oh yeah, we have a whole a whole section on <laughs> on this. We're going to really have to dig in. Um, so they're having this dance competition and... Everyone's going. Even like the the outsiders are like, yeah, we really want to be on this nationally televised dance competition. And Sandy and Danny are going together. He's wearing a bright pink shirt. It is very Saturday Night Fever. Mm-hmm. Sandy is wearing a white dress with like a little shoulder cape, like she's getting married in a Catholic church. Very opposites Extremely attract. Extremely virginal. Yeah. And I think her outfit, too, is like, this is a very iconic Grease. This, I think people think of this and the one at the end more than, like, any of her other outfits. Oh, yeah. 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 And this is, like, her and Danny's big moment. They are tearing up the dance floor. People are calling them Fred and Ginger. Until her enemies conspire to rip her bodily away (laughs) from Danny and replace her with Cha-Cha Di Gregorio, the best dancer at St. Bernadette, with the worst reputation. Who has like ditched Kaniki? <laughs> I love Chacha Di Gregorio. She's a great <laughs> dancer. Just a bad a- again. Looks to be in her mid thirties. Yeah, yeah, hundred oh, percent. Yeah. Um, She's a ringer. like a thirty eight year old. But yeah, <laughs> but this is such a like this is such a funny that it's like. She's the best dancer. Like everyone knows, she's the best dancer. Is such a funny thing to have as your like calling card. Well, when once you see Cha Cha dance, you can you understand, you understand because Sandy was doing a pretty good job. I mean, she is being played by a pop star, but she honestly, I have to say, She's is no Cha-Cha. match for Cha Cha. Cha Cha is like the best dancer on that and gym floor. Everybody, her panties. She's pulling them up to to high kick. <laughs> To put her foot on Danny's chest. Like, Cha-Cha is putting it out there. She's doing a lot of the um, the frothy skirt choreography, where the mm-hmm. skirt oh, is yeah. truly, like, a, a full person in the dance. And her and outfit also, like, mirrors, like, matches with Danny's better than Sandy's does, right? right? Like, it's brightly yeah. colored. It has black polka dots on it. Like, they, they look good together. Yeah. And... We're going to have to take a quick break, but we will be right back to finish discussing the plot of Greece. Can you keep up? I like love it. And we're back. And, you know, after Cha-Cha interrupts the dance, Danny just kind of finishes the dance with her and is like, okay, my girlfriend just fled crying, but I'm here. <laughs> um, I'm now dancing with the What's best dancer at St. Bernadette's. is the dancing, Claire. <laughs> exactly. And this was the moment where I was like, who is Danny? Like, does he have a, an interiority? I don't feel like I have access to it. What is he thinking in this moment? I don't, what, it, what decisions are he making? none of these characters have interiority. I'd yeah. say, like, maybe Rizzo and Kaniki have the most. Yes. Yeah, I think Rizzo and Kaniki have the strongest, like, arc and characterization. Yeah. Because we see, it's I think also because we see them together and seeing, like, conversations between them, like, in the car, when 
the when she says she's pregnant, when she thinks she's pregnant, like all of that stuff, I think. And then we have, you know, Travolta sings Sandy. But it's all these things where you're like, why didn't you say that to her? Right. It's all everyone's song is about how they love the other person so much and they can't live without them. And they've never said that to the other person. And whenever they're (laughs) together, they just seem miserable and like not like themselves at all. Yeah. Um, But after this, Sandy and Danny are still dating because he said he was sorry. And so they go to the drive in and to prove that he's really committed to her. And that he's sorry he gives her his ring. And she says, Danny, this means so much to me because I know now that you respect me. And he's like, oh, (laughs) I respect you? Now's a good time for some light assaulting. Not even light, (laughs) some some casual. Light assault heavy Yeah. (laughs) This is bringing me back to Temptation Island. Why do women have this idea that if a man gives you a ring because he did something bad to you, that means that he's never going to hurt you again? Like, that's just a present. It doesn't prove anything. And Danny's just trying to use it, really, to get into Sandy's silky he's drawers. He's like, glad we have made up. Yep. Now is the time to bone. Yeah. <laughs> and she does not take kindly to being sex sex crimes lightly sexually <laughs> mm-hmm. assaulted and so she storms off and then he sings a song about how kind of he's the victim here when you think about it because he really loves her and she really hurt him by stranding him at the drive-in and again you can tell travolta's like this is my big emotional <laughs> moment i am soaring above this film why yo what like <laughs> Why, yeah, 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 Sandy. And somehow it, like, kind of works. It totally like, he sells it. Big love he, and it's all charisma. Yeah. And it wor- but it is so, like, again, you feel you're like, hey, buddy, this is, this is, a, this has a little comedy in it. You know that? Like, <laughs> yeah, I don't think that we're genuinely supposed to feel like Sandy is a victim of some great, like, heartbreak and injustice because she left yeah. him at the drive-in. Like, it's obviously a little bit silly. And the I, when the hot dog leaps into oh, the bun. Oh, my God. I and then it's, like, the most emotional incredible. moment. Incredible. It's so funny. It's so <laughs> funny. The Oh, my God. The way they deploy those movie ads in the background is perfect. Uh, the ads throughout just as a source of like like puncturing the moment and reminding them of like the indignities of their teenage existence, like incredible. There, I think it's when Rizzo and Kaniki are hooking up that we hear an ad for acne and like how you need to <laughs> disinfect your pores, like ad for acne treatment. And I was like, yeah, that's that's the teenage years. You mm-hmm. think that you're just having the most intense romantic time of your life, and also your face is covered in infected pores. And that's just <laughs> kind of what it is. Um, unfortunately, because of this interlude, Rizzo has missed a period, it seems. And Marty finds out and immediately tells everyone, as you do. And Kaniki, this is a scene I had seen before. <laughs> Kaniki comes up to Rizzo in the parking lot. And is like, so I hear you like got a bun in the oven and like I, I don't walk away from my mistakes. And she's like, well, somebody else's mistake. And he's like, thanks, Rizzo. <laughs> okay, <laughs> like bye. he knows she's lying and he's like, I appreciate that lie. That's really yeah. useful for me. Goodbye. <sighs> but 
he has more important things to focus on because Grease Lightning is finally ready to race a Thunder Road. And it looks like a whole different car. It is, I mean, polished to a high gleam. They appear Their to have put some sort of motor in it. teacher, who is a woman, which I love, uh, oh, yeah. has really been helping them fix up. She's and like, these she's are there? my boys. <laughs> I'm here for you. Yeah, she's like, go out and do this incredibly dangerous thing where you might a get, street might race. literally die at the hands of this other like idiot kid who runs a greaser gang called the Scorpions. <laughs> she's like, I support you. And the guy who, isn't the guy who runs the Scorpion, his nickname's Crater Face? Yeah. Like, again, yes. to bring back the acne <laughs> motif. <laughs> but like again, injecting he, little realism he does there. look yep. 40 years old. So. He really does. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, we I glossed over this, but there has been an ongoing sort of series of love triangles where Danny used to date Cha-Cha and also Rizzo, and then Cha-Cha is now dating Craterface, the leader of the Scorpions, but she went to the dance with Kaniki, and then Rizzo went Rizzo to the went dance with, with Craterface, and now that's all been kind of put to the side Cha-Cha is back with Craterface, and she's there to lend him her emotional support and her good the luck talismans. The world has order again. Yes. The world has meaning. <laughs> Everything is in balance. <laughs> Things are moving to their correctly assigned places. And Grease Lightning is is going up solo against this, this Scorpion uh, vehicle, which is like a vehicle of war. I mean, it's covered in spikes. Um Street racing was apparently very violent back in the in the nineteen fifties, mm-hmm. but before he can even begin the race, Kaniki sort of lightly bangs his head against the door <laughs> of the car and is completely concussed. He's seeing double, and Danny's like, "Do you want me to drive for you, Kaniki?" And he's like, "Yeah, yeah, so you're do. my second. You're Thank my you second. man. You know, hey man, you know when somebody having like a duel and they got a guy that's the guy with them." And he, like, holds the gun or whatever. Yeah. Can you be that for me, but with the car? Like, I, I again, Another I great I moment love of, like, performed masculinity is when they're, like, oh, man, they start, like, tearing up, hugging each other, and then they're, like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> my hair, my hair. Fix my hair. Also, like, Kaniki is fully just doing Marlon Brando the whole time. Like, yes. it's very not subtle, but especially when he first enters, I was like, that is just a straight-up Godfather impression that this guy <laughs> is doing. Um, Kaniki has to sit out the race. Danny takes the wheel. And despite the fact that the opposing car completely shreds up the side of Grease Lightning with its spikes during the race... Yeah, it's they- secret racer blade <laughs> sticking out of the car. <laughs> It's like something from like Hanna Barbera races. Like I'm surprised it doesn't like squirt oil out the back, launch banana peels. Like it's fully <laughs> Mario Kart. It's it's high high tech. Like there is a class yeah. divide here. They have access to some car refurbishment budget that Grease Lightning just simply did not have. But they're racing <laughs> for pinks, ownership papers. So I guess now Danny and Kaniki own the scorpion car and sandy has come to talk to danny so she is watching from the side of the ditch 
that it's they like those race drainage in. ditches. Yeah. They're in LA. They're in every movie in LA where there's cars. They race <laughs> in the like there's a big sequence yes. in Italian. I was gonna job. say if you've seen the Italian job. <laughs> yeah. They're, I think in like a bunch of the Fast and Furious movies. They're the, they're just like these iconic filming locations. I'm not sure what they do like ecologically, but I don't think they do anything there. ecologically. It's a lot of concrete. <laughs> but yeah, I guess it's just in between sort of streets different highways there's like a ditch between supports and then overhead is like an elevated like highway um and so sandy has been sitting on the side in her floofy pink dress watching and feeling troubled at the end she realizes as she watches danny and his friends celebrate that she has to change if she wants to fit in with danny and his life and she is ready to do that and suddenly the year is over and it's time for the graduation <laughs> carnival. I fully thought this all took place in like two months, but it's been an entire school year. A full school year. Danny shows up in a Letterman cardigan because he ran track to impress Sandy, who means so much to him. But little does he know what Sandy has prepared because she shows up in a skin tight, all black ensemble, tightly belted at the waist, and an enormous perm, red lipstick. I love this look. I just, I love it so much. Perfection. Her perm, I was just like, I want it. How do I get that hair? It like doesn't, there's three wigs under there. Oh yeah, no, it's not, it's not something I can achieve. But it is incredible, incredible hair. They sing, you're the one that I want. They kiss, they're back together Nikki and Rizzo also get back together because it turns out she's not pregnant. It was a false alarm. <laughs> false alarm. And so now she, she and Knicky can be together. And then he they... offers to make an honest woman out of her. So I guess they're getting married. And then it's the bona fide sing... offer. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, they all uh, sing a song about how they're all going to be friends forever. Because that's just boogie, boogie, the way boogie, it needs to be. Shooby doo wop doo wop dip da dip da dip doo wop da dooby doo. The last song, you know, I've seen this ten thousand times. So that like our one of our favorite things is just like watch the extras. There's like eighty people in this number. It goes all the way back. You look at like the tilt a whirl. There's like motherfuckers on the tilt a whirl like doing the choreo, <laughs> clapping. You look at the like the flying little cars. Every time they come around to the front, they're like doing a yeah, shimmy. They gave budget to this last every, number. Every and every person's going hard. Like there's people just like standing in front of the Ferris wheel, like doing the choreo. You know they like, hired so many professional dancers that were like, "This is my fucking moment." Oh, yeah. This is when it goes hard. It goes way too hard, way too fast. And it's, like, very confusing because it's, like, we just had, in a way, kind of the big climactic number of the movie, which is Sandy and Danny getting together in their their new and improved selves. And then all of a sudden it's, like, and now we're doing another song and everyone's in it. Well, this one is so frenetic. It's very Broadway in the sense that this is clearly the, like, the take a bow, get your applause number. Like, yeah, each couple right. is able to come for, you know, we have Eugene and Patty Simcox. Like, they each sort of come through a human, I don't know what you, like. Tunnel. Tunnel. A human a tunnel. tunnel. Thank you. That's the <laughs> word. A human tunnel and, like, do their own little dance. So we get to, we get that very Broadway finish. That's true. There are points when I found it very noticeable that I was watching a Broadway show as a movie and 
It was most of the movie, but this was <laughs> this was a big one. Yeah. Um, so that brings us to the end of the movie, and they're all going to be friends forever and also in love because Sandy and Danny have changed and become perfect for each other. So what should we They put on slightly different outfits <laughs> for one day. That's all it takes. And they are perfect That's, all, That's it all, takes. all it takes. Young I actually, love. Can we, can we start by talking about the love story? We have some other themes to get into, but... I feel like we're ready to talk about this. Yes. What is going on with Sandy and Danny? Like, this is the thinnest love story of well, any popular love movie I've ever it seen. It definitely feels like there's there's stuff missing. It because that that you you know, you say boy gets girl, boy loses girl, boy gets girl. You the boy gets girl, we don't see because that happened in right. Australia. So we don't see. And then he, like, loses her several times throughout the course of the film. Like, it's boy, boy lose girl, boy lose girl, boy lose girl again. <laughs> and then at the end, like, no, you know, nobody does anything. And then they just decide to be together again. Right. And Oh, there is no you know, real, there's no development, like, as a couple. They each have their right. individual journeys. And then they're just like, yeah, yeah, now it's good. And we're good. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's truly just... The number of times that he loses Sandy and then gets her back by being like, I am sorry, Sandy. And she's like, okay, that is most of the plot. Um, So it's not very dynamic. And yeah, we never saw them fall in love. So we have no idea what they even like about each other. I think that they're relying really heavily on the trope because we know the virginal beauty meets the bad boy relationship archetype, right? Like... We know how that pairing works. She's drawn to his danger and the freedom that he promises. He's drawn to her, like, sweetness and innocence and how beautiful and inviting that is. Opposites attract. Like, they overcome the obstacles of their different backgrounds and lifestyles to to celebrate what they love about each other, whatever. But, but that's all we, we know see, about that. Like, do we see that? Right, we don't. We like, don't. See no. that. It's all signified I, by their like outfits. And I think like the fun, you know, again, it's like looking at this, thinking like, okay, like what do we need to see? Like what would we want to see? And I think the fun, the part where he's trying on the different sports to like impress her is really funny. It's just like a series of small sketches that are just all very fun. And so you kind of want to see them like try on the identities and like try it out on each other and try it out on their friends. Like if she had tried to be a bad girl at some point and couldn't do it to then make this payoff at the end, like work or, you know, see her asking the pink ladies, like, what do you do to keep a guy? And they give her. Right. Yeah. Because it's like, why does she need to do that? He never seemed bothered. In fact, that's almost the most confusing thing is that we only know their archetypal, like, roles and presentations, and that must be what they're drawn to about each other then, right? But then they give those things up, especially Sandy. And so it's like, what does Danny even like about her anymore? <laughs> well, does she now have she's a personality underneath that out, that he liked? So. <laughs> yeah, so put out. I think he wanted her to be just the same, but with sex. And she was like, what if I put on a whole different persona? And I think she wanted him to be the same, but with being nice to her sometimes. Right. Like, and he's like, he's like, I'm going to let her in track. No, I understand. I'm definitely going to let her in track for you. 
because yeah, it's just very weird that like the only thing that we know about them is their external qualities, and then by the end, that's like stripped away, and they're just these two like personality free like sort of. So that's that, again, that's babies. another thing that sort of makes it feel like a sketch show mm-hmm. or some just like an assemblage of vignettes is that they don't really have, you know, if we saw this thing where it's like Danny is a sweet guy, but he's putting on this front and Dan- and Sandy brings out this sweet guy, you know, and Sandy wants to rebel, but is this good girl like that would even feel like a step more of like character development. And like pieces of that you can co- kind of extrapolate. Like I feel like that's sort of the framing maybe that I like transplanted onto this movie watching it because right. you kind of fill in the gaps. But yeah, none of that, like there's zero effort made to even draw any of that out. <laughs> yeah. And I do think part of that might be the fact that the original stage production, which, like, it changed pretty substantially, I think, when it went to Broadway and then again in the movie, um, was much more of an ensemble show and was more of, like, vignettes about people that um, the co-creator went to high school with. And so, like, (laughs) Sandy was a primary character, but it was, like, everyone had a solo. Everyone, it was just, like, a a portrait of the neighborhood. Right. So they just, like, picked out a, a popular sort of a popular narrative type to to, to kind of elevate I believe and elevate yeah. yeah to sort of anchor it like we have to give this a big love story between a blonde princess and a bad boy yeah and even like you know I know we were as I was doing my research for this I rewatched some of the things from like Grease Live and they leave some of those original songs in the one that was it was on Fox mm-hmm. that one with Vanessa Hudgens yeah. as Rizzo and um but like Marty gets a song and there's a whole subplot that Marty's she's dating all those guys that are in the military. And um, and there's this big subplot that she loves older men. And that's why she gets with the um, the guy at the dance that the film, the like TV host. who in the original stage show was 19. He was and this guy's like, like 40. 40. Yeah, they changed that <laughs> to be creepier. When you're 17, 19 is older enough. <laughs> right. I think it would still work, but they like chose to make it like extremely skeezy. And I and like Marty gets this song of like, it's like, come home to me, Freddie, or marry me, Freddie. But it's about one of these military guys. And she's like, I'm going to be your wife and I'm going to do all this for you. So eat, like everyone kind of gets their own like Arc. sexy, romantic song to sort of show these different ways that these high schoolers like don't understand love or don't Mm. understand sex and again yeah that's all kind of like none of those arcs resolve in this really except I think Rizzo and Kinnicky are the only one that like they're the love story I agree I actually agree more well because they had I I find that story to be in certain ways the more satisfying love story but also I'm like would they have never gotten back together if she were pregnant? Like, there's something very, like, weird about how that all wraps up, too. I think they could have done a lot more with it. But I, the way that I read that, like, Rizzo, Kanicki, when he's like, thanks, kid. Like, I read that more as him being wounded and being like, I'm trying to take responsibility here and you're pushing me away. Like, he and I think that that's sort of Rizzo's that's arc. It's a very generous reading. It it is, but I think that <laughs> yeah. we do see in like Rizzo, and there are worse things like Rizzo's protective armor mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. is there for good reason because she's been through some shit. 
but also it has the result of pushing people away who are trying to be like her friends or partners. Yeah. And I think in that Rizzo Kinnicky relationship, it's like you, you do, t- they keep sort of being drawn to each other and they are doing all this stuff to sort of get at each other, make each other mad. But there is, there's more of a like gravitational chemistry pull between the two of them and that we're the same social group. Mm-hmm. We're supposed to be together, but we do like each other, but too much ego kind of to like admit it to each other. And in that scene with Kinnicky where he's like, thanks, you know, is it mine? Uh, you get the sense that he likes her. Yeah. Like he does sort of really like her. And it's to me, I always write is like, she does in this viewing, I was like, oh, she does like him, but she doesn't want to like let herself like anybody. That boys are just kind of for sex and for fun and you can't really depend on anybody. So that's like what she's coming in to this relationship with. Yeah. Okay. I'm interested. I'm interested by this reading. I'm going to have to watch it again tomorrow. Another <laughs> thing that I wanted to touch on a bit when it comes to the love story is that the Sandy like transformation was specifically written as as satire as is like the, most of the the show, but specifically a twist on a particular kind uh, like subset of romantic movies from the 50s in which the bad boy man sort of gets like buttoned up at the end. Right. Like there, I read an interview with um, the co-creator that was in the Chicago Tribune 2011. And it says, Grease was in its original form, a spoof of the old Alan Freed movies that would invariably end with the hero bad boy reforming in the final reel, or as Jacobs put it, where Elvis puts on a seersucker suit and becomes a senator. Jacobs and Casey decided to turn that narrative on its head. We said to ourselves, Jacobs remembered, what if the girl changes instead? Yeah. Um, I I found this, like, to be, like, a key that really unlocked the whole thing. It's yeah. like, oh, like, they were doing satire of the past already in the 70s. That's not, like, a new thing. <laughs> um, but, yeah, there is something, like, that we've been through so many waves of, like, feminist argumentation about sex positivity since then and at the time you can definitely see there being something edgy and subversive about saying like what if it's not about women having to be these you know upholders of purity and uh moral perfection who take on the role of like softening their husbands and boyfriends and like gentling them and purifying them through their noble influence, like the angel in the house. Um, <laughs> what if instead, like, your daughter goes and dates some some guy from a, a background you don't approve of, and suddenly she's, like, having sex and smoking? And that's, like, the terror of, like, the, the super white patriarchal, like, bourgeois family, right? Like, your perfect daughter has been sullied by embracing this this rebellious lifestyle. And look how fucking happy she is. And she's so right. happy. And even if you look at, like, rom- the romantic comedies from, you know, the 40s and 50s, you, there's this talk of, like, the shift in the romantic comedies where it began with the education of the woman, that you have this, like, very independent, woman like Catherine Hepburn or something, or even like Audrey Hepburn in Funny Face. And she has to be taught that having a husband, having a romantic life is the thing that she should be doing. And, you know, like you look at some like How to Marry a Millionaire, all those three women, like they learn 
love is the most important thing. They shouldn't have this ambition to marry a rich man. And then one of them gets rewarded that he is rich, like in the end, you know, but like that is the reward for seeking marriage, for seeking um, domesticity, all of it, like all of those movies end in a marriage and a kiss. So it's even feeling a little like spoofing of that, Mm. of like, it doesn't Mm -hmm. have to end in marriage. It doesn't, they're not, it doesn't end with Danny saying, I'm going to marry you. Like, they're just going to have another good summer together. And like all their friends are going to hang out. And then you look at, you know, after the one that sort of talked about is the shift of like when Harry met Sally of like the education of the man. And like a lot of modern contemporary rom-coms are the man is the one that has to learn the lesson. He has to run to the airport, all of that. And like that we're right on the cusp of that. Cause this is 78 and when Harry Met Sally is in the early 80s, we don't even see anything from Danny. Like, he t- takes his sweater back off. He's like, oh, I can just yeah, be myself. exactly. He's like, great, now like, I can just be myself. It doesn't fit into that either. Like, it's sort of not signaling, like, any sort of, like, in those standard rom-com tropes. No. But again, yeah, there is all this discussion of, like, what does it mean? What does it mean? Like that she, I don't like, she put on a different outfit and she's going to like have fun. Right. Uh, yeah. She's, <laughs> she's going to have fun. She's allowing herself to have fun. I think that yeah. is kind of meant to be the takeaway. Which is like the dirty dancing arc too, of yeah. like, what if instead of the, the heroine is being corrupted by the, working the guy class, from the wrong side of the like, tracks. What yeah. if instead this is her way of becoming a woman, like her initiation into adulthood and the attendant like pleasures and risks and um, and freedoms of adulthood. And the weird thing about it in a way is that we never meet Sandy's family. And I feel like parents are such an essential force to rebel against. And she's just kind of rebelling against who she has been in the past. (laughs) Right, yeah. Yeah. It's sort of unclear. But it does seem like she must come from the kind of family background where her parents are not going to be excited about this at all. And that's just not part of her story. It's like she wears tight black clothes now. And (laughs) she's happy. And on that note, I think we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back to dive into some more underlying themes of Greece. Can you keep up? And we're back. Uh, what should we, where to begin? Should we talk a little bit about the those socioeconomic and like sort of racialized hierarchies of Rydell High? As you were saying before, Allie, it is like the whitest school that you could conceive <laughs> there's of. No, there's no, like, I think as a kid in my brain, I was like, Chacha de Gregorio must be like, a Puerto Rican lady or something. Cause I was like, that was a story. This Puerto Rican than that. This is in the past. Like I, and, and like cha-cha, I was like, Oh, she must be like a Latina. But even if you're like, did Gregorio, like she's, she's Italian. Italian. Yeah. yeah. I and think the, like the actor, Italian, the actor is yeah. Italian and Latinx. Um, yeah. But yeah, I had the same, I had the same arc where I always like coded her differently. And then I was like, Oh, no, at basically everyone in this movie who's in right. that social circle is meant to be Italian working class. Right. And that was, so, yeah, like, all the students basically look the same. Like, they're all white. They're all thin. They're all mm-hmm. around 32, you know, give or take. <laughs> but so the way that they end up exploring these, like, 
insider-outsider dynamics is through coding the Thunderbirds so Italian compared to, like, the more waspy, Sandy, Patty Simcox, the jocks. You know, they're very blonde. Um, And the Thunderbirds are doing their Marlon Brando, and they all have very Italian last names. And that is sort of signaling that they are not of the same background um, and that they are the the ethnic outsiders in a certain way, um, which is something I just, like, didn't pick up on at all until, I, I would say, like, halfway through my first viewing this week. And, like, <laughs> and like knowing it's Chicago, too, mm. like, once I sort of realized, like, oh, it's supposed to be in the northwest side of Chicago, mm-hmm. like, that Zuko's Italian, that Sandy's originally is Polish, like, all of the, like those things to me, they don't read ever as like outsidery because that was very much like where, where I grew up, there's a lot of Italian families, Irish families, Polish families, Ukrainian families. Like that was just what the, like the white people, very few of the white people were just like white. Mm. Like they were like, we're Irish, we're Italian, which is a, I think a very chicago thing. And there were, you know, I, a, a boyfriend's dad, he grew up, he was Greek and he grew up in a German neighborhood. And that was very much like, oh no, the white people are the Germans mm. and you are the not white people because you had, and he tried, always would try to like relate to me. Like I was the only kid with brown eyes in my class. Oh, no. I'm like, I don't know if that's what's happening here, <laughs> sir. Uh, but that, but yeah, that sort of, that is kind of lost time in the ways that all these white ethnic groups just became white white yeah yeah definitely context that I completely miss like I didn't even read them as yeah as outsiders at all until I started understanding like the context that the original show was written in I was like oh they're the cool ones they're outsiders in that they're cool right they wear the leather jackets they're edgy (laughs) they they like make trouble at school but it is like aligned with the fact that they're not like super waspy and up and the wasps are uptight and they're dumb and they're boring except for Sandy who is deep down interesting and fun and smart but also yeah I mean it's an exploration of like greaser subculture Right? Yeah, or at large, which was very working class, um, like Italian and Latinx primarily, and yeah, it's just it, there's so much that is that is lost in in translation without any cultural specificity. Like we get obvious hints that they are less affluent than a, some of the other kids. You know, we see them fixing up this very beaten down car. We see them like Frenchie being like, I'm going to be a beautician or maybe I'll be a waitress. Like we yeah. do, there they're is all definitely, they're all yeah, they're all, all broke. The yeah. They're all trying to pool 25 cents to like split one milkshake. And meanwhile, Sandy is just like, hey, quarterback boyfriend, I need money to change the music. And he's like, of course, in addition to the ice cream float I've purchased you, I will also put new music on. And there's a little bit of that too, which- in that scene, Sandy goes, my parent when they're trying to pull the money, like, my parents want to have you over for tea. Mm. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. that is such a, like, I remember uh, at Wellesley, one of our alumni, uh, Miss Manners, the woman who writes the column, Miss Manners, I think her name, something Martin, and she gave a speech and she was like, because they used to have teas at Wellesley, like, you would have 
your afternoon tea was like a thing you would do like once a month. And she was like, tea is the the opiate of the privileged masses. <laughs> but it's like having like having tea is such a like signifier and they all kind of look at her like I'm sorry what's happening like, yeah. <laughs> she's she's rich like they're proper over there like but it is sort of these very subtle because I don't think you see the other people at the school you don't sort of see the other you don't right. see how the teachers kind of react to them it is very just this group of friends mm-hmm. you know yeah like, you get the sense that they're like in trouble with the principal a lot but it's not really explored. Yeah. yeah it it feels like as I was watching it, I was like, oh, this functions more as like a teen movie than like a romantic movie. Yeah. And it feels like you're sharing a bit of that like DNA with something like Fast Times. And it's just like these series of vignettes and sort of the class stuff, the race stuff like kind of pokes mm-hmm. up. But it is sort of the drama of this friend group is more like, in the foreground then, you know. But then mm-hmm. also knowing that it's, like, a satire of what the 50s were like, it's, like, there were poor people in the 50s. Like, I think now a lot of our images are, like, happy days, mm-hmm. very middle class, very safe. And it's, like, no, there were all kinds of people doing all kinds of things. And sometimes you had kids that were, you know, working class in a nice high school, and they just kept to themselves. yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, it definitely, it doesn't ever feel like their goal is to do a really um, front and center satire of the (laughs) socioeconomic stratification. Um, But there are these moments where, I mean, and sometimes it really doesn't seem like the intention is to be satirical so much as just like to get a laugh of any kind, obviously. And there's like a moment with Jan at the diner This is when I learned that Jan is the quote-unquote fat one in the group because Putz tells her that he sees more in her than just fat. And she's like, thank you so much. And that was like, that scene doesn't feel like it's like satirizing anything. It's just like using the familiar sort of like. Oh, I don't think that was Stereotype of the funny fat girl. Yeah. And that was that like my jaw was on the floor at that. Because yeah, I always read her like she's the like she's the ugly mm, one. Like yeah. my brain never filled in that she was like fat. I don't as mean, a fat person. Yeah. I'm like I do not see you standing in solidarity with me. But like, <laughs> well, because she, it, she <laughs> doesn't it seem like she's like, yeah. <laughs> but she's it might, it's like she's the ugly one. She's the one that no that you don't you you don't think she's gonna end up with a boyfriend. Like she's kind of weird and she's just like. You know, <laughs> she does a little comedy routine to the toothpaste commercial. Brush up, brush up, brush up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's like, oh, I have big buck teeth. The mascot for this toothpaste is a beaver. Like, it feels very like I'm doing this a little to like fit in. Yeah, I'm gonna make fun of myself. To I'm gonna beat you to the punch. Yeah, be goofy too, and then to like hold on to this. Yeah, and then she gets to date the guy who lies on the bleachers to look up girls' skirts, and so she wins. What a win for her! I'm very happy <laughs> for Jan. There, I mean, there's also like a t- like a very dated feeling joke about that at the dance competition where she keeps leading, and Putz is like, "Can you let me lead?" And she's like, "Oh no, I'm just so used to leading because, of course, like when you take dance lessons, you might have had to like be the guy." 
you know, right. with your with your pretty girlfriends who are practicing their their steps. Like there was a hint of that, like, oh, you're always relegated to taking the guy's part to fill in with a girl who doesn't have a partner. Like there, which just like no one jokes about that anymore. Like or that's not like, not a thing anymore. <laughs> uh, poor Jan. Um, but yeah, this this uh, this this brings us maybe per- to the gender politics more broadly of Rydell High, which I think is what we should discuss last. I have a lot on this. <laughs> We've touched on a lot of it already. Yeah, but we- as I said before, my Grease notes doc initially was just like a running list of sex crimes. <laughs> it's yeah, in like every oh, scene. Oh, I forgot that upskirting scene. Yeah. Interesting. Yes. Oh, right. There's a 40-year-old trying to fuck a 17-year-old. Very cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. It's just constant, the- basically. The, like I I looked at at starting at women starting to wear pants in a whole different way after watching this movie. I was like, <laughs> skirts make you so vulnerable to to like sexual assaults of various kinds in a way that I just like I just didn't even really consider. But in Greece, it's happening like in every scene. Even is like another like fifties era joke. Like I was on seeing it on something like happy days or something like that of like boys wearing mirrors on their shoes to the dance or like, I, you know, maybe even in like mad magazine Mm. or something, but that being like its own weird little trope of like, you get a little compact mirror, you stick it on your shoe. And when you go to the dance, you can look up everybody's skirt. But again, it also shows how like, we were so starved for any sort of raunchiness <laughs> that you were like, this girl, I know she has two petticoats on of the tool <laughs> to make her poodle skirt stand out, but I'm going to get up in there and I'm going to see something. Yeah, Like, yeah. I don't know what it is, but I'm going to look at something. <laughs> it seems almost funny at the dance because so many of the girls are just voluntarily throwing their skirts up. And then it's like, oh, but like... We still have to get even more skirts up. It's like there's there's panties right. everywhere. Just like look around you. Yeah, Everyone's waiting a minute. Take, take, take a beat, putts. They're doing a full split. Like you're gonna something's gonna slip out. Like you're fine. Yeah, but like it's more it's more of like it, and I think that it's interesting in Greece how much it is almost explicitly a power thing that it's like this girl's like an uptight, annoying like goody two shoes. We're going to pull up her skirt on national TV and that'll really show her. Like, that's like the tone of a lot of the upskirtings. <laughs> it happens to Sandy, too. Um, a, a boy and a girl together pull her skirt up when she's wearing her cheerleader outfit. And, like, so much of it is clearly just to, like, make these girls live in, like, a state of constant terror. <laughs> So that they know that they 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 should be on watch under the under the guise of mischief. Yeah, we so we recently did a piece at work about school resource officers who were talking about all these laws that like impact kids, and so many of the laws that got transformed now into that you can just arrest any child at a school, which is awful, started as there was like a women's college or a women's high school, and they just had to keep boys off the campus because boys would be trying to like break in and, you know, sneak around or like they would just be like on campus, like circulating. So, so many of these rules started as some of these laws started just like to, they're just like no mischief 
no flirting, mm. no like fascinating. And the or the other half of them started as to keep the rival football team from like breaking in and like doing pranks. <laughs> so like some of that is like rowdiness and destruction of school property were these kind of like, you know, to to stop someone from stealing like the school pig that comes out at the pep rallies or whatever. But like all the, but they're just sort of, it seemed like there was just a culture of just like general mayhem and and chaos around school campuses that had to, had to be stopped. And now we have something so much better. And it's, we fixed it and there's not any problem. Yeah. There's no revenge (laughs) porn and there aren't children being arrested all the time. Everything's good. That's what we know about our current moment. It's just really great. Someone who went to a women's college, there was sort of just general, just guys hanging around. Like they would show up on campus, like for a party or something with like 10 of their friends. They'd go to the party, whatever. You know, we had these big, that there was security and everybody, it was very, very safe. But you leave and there would be guys. And it's like, what you could tell one of the buddies hooked up with somebody and the other like seven or eight guys were just like, hoping to meet anyone Ugh. by the time they they walked their friend to this dorm so he could like go hook up with somebody. So they'd be just like, hey, what are you doing? And so like the catchphrase that all the women on campus would, is, hey, is your roommate home? Because it was just guys being like, can I just, can we just fuck and then I can crash? Because I don't, I, I missed the last bus back and I don't want to take like a $50 cab back to BU it's or whatever. like the way that things worked before Tinder, like <laughs> Tinder is not good, but I'm also like, yeah, before it was just a lot of men being like, can you bring a friend can you have your girlfriend bring a friend so I can have someone to fuck Guaranteed. tonight? Like, yeah. that, like that whole, that seemed actually pretty awful too. Um, and like, it's obviously, it's like the Thunderbirds who are committing like a lot of the sex crimes and it's like part of their charming outsider appeal. And you're like, yeah, they are little rebels and mischief makers, but wait, this seems like yeah. a who's, lot of sexual victimized here. Hmm, interesting. <laughs> The one guy who's always just like, so does she have a girlfriend? (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, somehow, poor poor Marty like ends up with him. I'm like, Marty would never. Marty deserves better. Yeah, she. Well, but her other option is a 40 year old who (laughs) hits on her, a teenage contestant on national TV for like two hours. Do your folks know that I come into your room every night? Is his opening line. You can tell he's he's hit on his teenage listeners before. Oh yeah. yeah. Let's talk about Rizzo. Yes. We we have talked a little bit about Rizzo, but I want to talk more about the worst thing I could do and how it like incredible. That is maybe the best song in the whole show. Like it, it is the whole movie. I love this song so much. I think it is also the reason that Rizzo is kind of like the most fully realized character in the movie because this is a song in which we get a lot of her interiority. And it kind of starts off with her being like, you know, there are worse things I could do than go with a boy or two. Like, you know, okay. Like not put out. Like not put out. Like I could be a tease and that would be really bad. That would be really bad. And then she gets to a more vulnerable place and is like, well, what's actually worse that I could do is not anything to do with sexuality. It's that I could hurt someone who has that protective armor up like me out of, she says, out of spite or jealousy. 
Um, I don't, I don't steal, steal and I don't and lie. I don't, cry, but I, don't, I, I don't lie, but I can feel and I and can, I can cry. cry. And Stalker Channing is so good. Like, it really makes you understand why they cast her despite her being a bit older. Um, even than the rest of the cast members who are other cast members who Although, are already can we get all real older. About this? She is so obviously so much older that I actually find it very hard to suspend my disbelief. Like, she really does not seem remotely close to being a high schooler. I will also say when we were watching when the opening, they do these portraits. They're kind of okay. Like that was portraits. like an attack on Hers? her. That was cruel. Who? Who? Like, that is rude. Yeah. <laughs> they were like, I will, I will lie in wait and get my revenge with this. Yeah, I was like, how, why did she they do that to like, her? She doesn't look like herself. She barely looks like uh, she's very attractive, incredibly hot in this movie. <laughs> she looks not even like a real person. It is like, so weird. It is it's crazy. bizarre. Jeff Conway looks like Milford Pierce or something. It looks like it's from the portraiture gallery <laughs> of presidents. Like his. Who these two crossed somebody and they were like, My time will come and my <laughs> weapon is a colored pencil. Like they it was unbelievable. They did they did Stocker Channing so dirty. They really did. But she remains great during this song. She's she's it, and the it's an incredible performance in the song. I just genuinely think that if she showed up on this high school campus, everyone would be <laughs> like, She is an undercover drug agent. Do not talk to her. Like she is thirty five. This is a twenty one Jump Street. This has never been kissed. Get her out of here. Yeah, I mean, she was thirty three. I think. Yeah, that's a lot I, older guys, than eighteen. I'm thirty. Yeah, like she's, she's she was our age. Uh, and I, I've been out of college almost fifteen. Exactly. Years. Like I have a lot of gray no. hair. Like yeah. a mm-hmm. lot of gray hair. Like, but but I think like it. Get, her being older does give Rizzo like a wisdom like she feels very like it's a you do have that feeling like you said of that she she's been through some stuff she's lived this she's lived a life even at 17 or 18 and again you know you don't see her parents you don't see her family but you sort of get the sense that she's like on her own in having to deal with all this because she doesn't say like oh i'm pregnant my mom's gonna flip or yeah i have to ask my older sister to take me to the clinic or, you know, drive me somewhere, whatever. But you you get, there is sort of an independence and a maturity to her. You know, you compare this pregnancy scare to the pregnancy scare, the, preg- the actual pregnancy in Fast Times. It is when uh, she finds out she's pregnant, when Jennifer Jason Lee character finds out she's pregnant in Fast Times, it, she like shuts down and like needs the guy to give her money and needs the guy to drive her and he doesn't show up and her brother has to pick her up. Like, she sort of doesn't feel like independent in control. And with Rizzo, you never feel she's like not in control, not independent, which is really interesting compared to Sandy. Yeah. She's like, I can Mm -hmm. take care of myself and anyone else who comes along very much implying that she's already completely taking care of herself. Yeah. Um, I also like Rizzo's style is so deliberate and interesting to me because she is like, so much sexier and also so much more androgynous than than Sandy yeah. is. She's got the red lipstick and her super tight pants and pencil skirts, but it's also like pants, you know, and, and short, short hair. hair. And she wears a lot of those collared shirts that are very menswear. Um, not that, you know, women of the time didn't wear them, obviously, but like the consistent styling choice to have 
Sandy in like the little cardigan sets and the floofy collars and her in like the little collared shirts like definitely creates that contrast. That's workwear. Yeah. Like that would have been if you were a waitress, if you were a receptionist, like you, you were, that was your working clothes. Yes. You know, if you, and you work somewhere that you would get dirty or you would like, you know, have to be up and moving around, you couldn't wear what Sandy wears. And if you look even like, if you look at like the first season of Mad Men, because that is like still very 50s style, Mm -hmm. but that like the, that silhouette of coming into the very narrow waist and out to that very big skirt that was signaling femininity, domesticity. That's June Cleaver's silhouette. Like it's a very pure, like motherhood, virginal, that kind of silhouette. And that slim, tight-fitting silhouette was much more sexually coded. Being in pants was you're you're working, you're you're independent, you out are out doing stuff. So you might be an artist, you might be a nanny, like a mate, you know, there's just it's work wear. So that even signals some class stuff in that. Yeah. Like Rizzo's stuff is all black. Like Sandy is white and it's expensive to keep white stuff clean. Yeah, a lot of like pastels. Oh, yeah. A lot white of pastels. pastels. You know? Yeah. Light yellows. Yeah. Yeah. We say like white collar because white collars were expensive to buy and keep, and keep clean. clean. Even too, now, I know? find that I can't wear white anymore because <laughs> just one splash of vomit on there and you're and like it's done wow it's actually very hard and expensive to keep this clean <laughs> um yeah that's so true um it's it's a very clear dichotomy that's set up between them and also like the way that her character arc fleshes out that she gets sort of it seems like punished with this pregnancy scare but then like rewarded with the baby going away mysteriously it's like (laughs) they have they have decided to like to both put the fear of god into rizzo a little bit and then to be like we are we are blessing you with another chance to like go forth into the world as a free and independent woman yeah is and i never read i'm gonna make an honest woman out of you as marriage but just like i'm gonna commit yeah you're gonna Mm -hmm. be my girlfriend which is it's all like when you're that age just be like we're going to go together. I'm going to get, we're going to have this like a committed relationship. We're not going to like fuck around with other people anymore. Yeah. I was sort of joking about that. I'm sure they're not getting married, but yeah, I, I feel like that's usually um, the context I've heard it in, but yeah, there it's clearly more an offer of commitment of some sort. Um, Yeah. And Sandy is in contrast, got that, extreme femininity that you're talking about the June Cleaver the long poofy skirts her hair is always very neatly combed like we definitely see the 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 connection between like wild curly hair and like (laughs) promiscuity and freedom and like sexuality and like when her hair is like clipped back and very straightly combed with the little flip that's when she's Madonna, angelic, Sandy. Yeah. She's angelic. She's say, been tamed. Like, her hair has been tamed. Yeah, And they say in uh, in, San, in Sandra D, she, she's never ratted her hair. Yeah. Because that was a, ba- that was a bad girl thing, to, to back comb and tease your hair and do it in that bouffant to create all that volume, which is, again, like, in uh, Hairspray, where... She wanted that big beehive hairdo and her mother forced her to straighten it and all that stuff. 
So like that even is its own like of the time, like sexual to to tease your hair was was a bad girl. Yeah. To tease it on your own was to be a bad girl. Yeah, you have to control the sexuality that is betokened <laughs> by your wild, wild hair. Um but but this is, you know, she she's she's definitely doing the the straight clipped hair and then she comes out, of course, in the the sexy ensemble with her giant hair signaling she's free. that she can she's have curls. Free. She can wear pants. Yeah. She she's can c- curly. gyrate. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> curly. <laughs> this wild Mustang can't be tamed by any man except for Danny if he's like a man man, you know. But even the li- like the lyrics in "You're the One That I Want" are kind of take no shit. They're like, yeah. "Listen, <laughs> you better shape up. Enough. You better shape you up. Are, you are a dumb dumb, but I still want to fuck you, despite all evidence that I should not." <laughs> and I like that she. The lyrics are like, "I need a man who will keep me satisfied." Like this is yeah. about my pleasure too. Yeah, it's not just about you, like squeezing my boob really hard at a drive-in, which actually yeah. isn't that fun for me, yeah. personally. No. No and his verse, his verse is not a note for her. It's like, I will say yeah. Yes, thank you. You do need a man. Yes, ma'am. I will be that man. <laughs> like, it is sort of, like, a fun that it, like, she beca- like she gets a little bit of Rizzo in that way of, like, if I'm going to do this, like, we're going to, you know, yeah, do it the right way. We're we're both gonna have fun yeah. here. And actually, my favorite moment, uh, I think, in the movie is when she and Rizzo, right before that song, Rizzo's showstopper, have this this moment where they like come to understand each other a little yeah. bit better in a way that. that it's more than I think we ever see Danny and Sandy come <laughs> to understand each other. Where Sandy yeah. is like, I know we haven't been friends, but I heard you're in trouble, and I'm here for you, whatever you need. And Rizzo tries to sort of brush her off and then is like, you know, actually, thank you. And so in that moment, it's like she sees that Sandy might be a goody two-shoes, but she's not a a mean girl. That she's like a good person who has something in her heart for Rizzo. And Rizzo is able to like show a softer side of herself as well and that there's like something more seeking human connection beneath her shell that moment (laughs) has really like grown in meaning for me as i've gotten older it's lovely yeah Yeah. um yeah and at the end yeah sandy is just like demanding satisfaction and her sexual gratification as every woman has the right to do um so Let's wrap up here, I think. Any final thoughts on Greece? Anything we didn't touch on? <laughs> Somehow. I feel like we really touched, touched on <laughs> we a lot. Got, we, we did went, it. We went in. Yeah, we, we did dug it. deep. I, I mean, it is. It, it was funny watching it through looking for the romance, looking for, like, the, the summer love aspect of it. Because when you sort of get down to it, it is a, it is a rom-com. It is, a like, a, mus- a romantic musical but the love stuff doesn't really like come to the forefront. So it's interesting to sort of watch it. And, you know, it's sort of, and I was joking with Philip. I was like, what, this feels like the first like high school teen movie kind of, of this ilk. And there were like the sixties beach bingo, kind of that sort of teen movie. And in the fifties, like rebel without a cause, but this sort of, 
feels like it welcomed in, you know, it's a precursor to, to she, you can see she's all that mm-hmm. in this and you can clueless. see the 10 things I hate about you, the clueless fast times. Like, yeah, it does yeah. sort of feel like it opened up teen romance in a different And I think way. that a lot of that is the fact that it was made in the late seventies. Like it feels like an earlier period piece to like modern viewers, but it has a very sort of seventies sensibility about sexuality and about the kind of um the like independence of of young people yeah, yeah. and the ability of young people to influence culture like this is kind of just like post sort of sexual revolution you know 5 years post row like there is a lot of a, a feeling of sexual freedom i think in the culture that didn't exist prior and that feels like very reflected in this yeah, it has, like, yeah. an ambivalence, I think, about sexuality and the right way to engage in it um, that has continued to, like, define how Americans feel and talk about sex, I think. Although different things are kind of dominant, different attitudes are dominant at different times, I think that Greece is, like, in a similar state of confusion as we, yeah. as the rest of the culture continues to be a lot of the time. Um, but also, like, the fact that the first teen movie that we really remember that has such an influence is, like, kind of a spoof of teen movies yeah. is, I think, really cool as well. Like, I think that it shows how much, like, the expectations we have of teenagers and the the moralism we attach to their choices, like, how there's, like, what's more intoxicating is the resistance to that and, like, puncturing that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like, no one wants to look back on the movies that are so earnest about, like, reforming the bad boy and, like, Elvis, like, becomes a (laughs) senator, as Jim Jacobs put in that interview. And now it's time for Love to See It, Hate to See It. But first, we're going to give the movie a little rating. Out of 10... Grease Lightnings? <laughs> I really couldn't decide, but I think Grease Lightnings is a good Yeah. Movie. Yeah. Allie, do you want to go first? Um, I mean, I would give it, it's like a solid seven Grease Lightnings. It's getting a bump just for how fun of a movie it is. And like, it is just the song, the songs are really good. Like, I think we sort of didn't really talk about like the musicality of it, but like, the songs are so, so catchy, good. so good. But if you're looking for like a very romantic movie to like watch with your sweetie and get your like, you know, to to Netflix and chill, I don't know if it's Grease. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I totally agree with your assessment. I do think the music carries this film a lot and like there is a reason that these songs are iconic and widely known, even separate from the show and the film. Like, these are songs that have permeated the culture. And so I think I also going to give it a, a 7 out of 10, Grease Lightnings. Yeah, I would say that on my first watch, I would have given it like a 3 out of 10. On my second <laughs> watch, I was more like 9 out of 10. Um, but I'm going to... I'm going to say six out of 10 for me overall, uh, knowing that I haven't had a lot of time to sit with my assessment. I think that there were 
a lot of sex crimes for my taste, like so many. Well, that um, is and why that's going to take a few points. <laughs> off yeah, yeah, we can't get we can't get up to a full ten. Yeah, too many sex crimes for a ten out of ten. <laughs> Way too many. But um, yeah, the music and the fact that by the second viewing, I was like, oh, this movie knows exactly how ridiculous all of this is. Brought it brought it back up over fifty percent for me. All right, should we do some love to see it, hate to see it? Let's do it. Um, We're going to go through some of our least favorite and most favorite moments in Greece. Let's start with hate to see it. I I think we just have to say the sex crimes as a whole because it's too exhausting. And I think we've already pointed out a bunch of examples, but like (laughs) the sex crimes, we we hate to see it. The casualness of the sex crimes, like the the laughing about the sex crimes, just everything about the sex crimes. Yeah. That the iconic song Summer Lovin' contains the line, did she put up a fight? Yes. <laughs> I think is a real hate to see it. Yeah, hate to see it. You really like, he hate to see answered, it. never answered, so we still don't know. And we're like, did she? <laughs> yeah. I need to know. A favorite quote of mine when uh, Danny Zuko is rejecting Rizzo Sloppy seconds ain't my style. Still a little old-fashioned slut-shaming from Hate our to romantic see that. lead. Hate, Hate to, see, to see, it. see it. Because you also know they probably did bang. Right. Like, you it's already- like, you're my sloppy seconds. I can't have sex with you again. <laughs> like, that's ridiculous. I have to find a fresh person to have sex with every year. Charming. <laughs> I also Good luck, Sandy. continue to hate to see that the chicks will cream is... <laughs> is a line. <laughs> I'm really not okay with the word cream for describing. <laughs> yeah, it's no. just like a really, the visual, I don't It's so visceral. It. And also just in reference to like seeing a car. Like, <laughs> Sir, I don't know about you ladies, but I've never experienced spontaneous, spontaneous orgasm. Looking at like a, like a Honda CRV <laughs> that was souped up. Like that's never I'm, Yeah, I'm never just going to say that like it's a lady boner killer when like these like stupid souped up cars go revving by my apartment just like creating noise mm-hmm. pollution. I'm like, that's not, it's the the opposite of the like spontaneous Creaming of the pants. Just more evidence that <laughs> boys and men really just don't understand what turns women on. They're like, she's going to see our car, right? And she's just all of a sudden going like, to be drenched focus down on there. what you do with Have you your heard of fingers? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Find a place to have sex with her that is not this car. That would also help. Oh, some good stuff in there. Um, should we move on to love to see it and end on a positive note? What do we love to see in this movie? I'm going to have to go with Sandy's hair. I in mean. that final scene. I want it. It's so good. I mean, I think we have to say the entire outfit at mm. the end. Like, I just, I love it. Every woman that has put on a pair of American Apparel Disco exactly. <laughs> has been trying to achieve what Olivia Newton-John achieved. We've all moment. tried, okay? <laughs> yeah. And the little hip swivels that they're doing in their tight, tight pants. I mean, it's aspirational. Um, we've talked about the music. I think, for me, that big finale number, surprise bop. I I have it stuck in my head right now. It's extremely catchy. It's been stuck in America's head. Yeah, for <laughs> decades. <laughs> 
I, like, and I gotta give, I gotta give love to say to to Travolta in singing Sandy. Like that is. <laughs> I got. I maybe got to give a love to see it to just John Travolta as a as a unit in this movie. He's an absolute <laughs> unit. I agree. Um, Himbo energy. Yes. yes. Big himbo energy. Oh, uh, the original himbo. Like a himbo with some yeah. edge. Like we'd love to see it. Like it's one of those <laughs> things where you it is, you watch it and you're like, I get I get the hold this man had on us as a as a society. <laughs> that the hair is good, the jawline is good, the little butt in them tiny jeans is good. Like he has a face everything. that like it looks like a caricature, but so handsome. Because his yes. features are so it's, exaggerated. It's like Gaston's face yes. on a real person. Oh my God. Like, it's that kind of... But, but without like, the, the creepy body that's shaped yeah, like an inverted soft. triangle. It's soft Gaston. Yes. Like soft Gaston. <laughs> soy boy Gaston. <laughs> I love my soy boy Gaston. Print that on a t-shirt, please. Yeah. Uh, on that note, Allie, thank you so much for joining us. Can you tell the people where they can find you in your work? Oh, thanks so much for having me. As always, uh, you can watch Last Week Tonight on HBO and HBO Max on Sunday night. Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at WTFlankSteak. And the Vulture Bachelorette recaps of this double season. We'll be back, baby. Yes. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> We are ready. It's coming. Mid-July, everyone. Mark your calendars. And that's it for Love to See It with Emma and Claire. Thanks to our guest, Ali Barthwell. Love to See It is produced by us, Claire Fallon and Emma Gray and Stitcher. This episode was edited by Tamika Weatherspoon. Our theme music is by Tamar Haviv and our art is by Celine Chang. Josephine Martirana is our executive producer. If you like the show, please rate us five stars and leave a review. And of course, help us spread the word about our show, especially to any of your friends who used to listen to us as Here to Make Friends. If you want to get in touch, you can email us at clarinemmapod at gmail.com with your questions, voice memos, and suggestions for shows you'd like to see us cover in The Bachelor off-season. You can also find us on Twitter and TikTok at Love to See It Pod and Instagram at clarinemmapod. And you can find our newsletter, Rich Text, on Substack at clareandemma.substack.com. You can also get tickets to our live show, which again is on Sunday, July 10th at momenthouse.com slash love to see it. We'd love to see you there. And we will make sure to link that in the show notes. You can also find us individually on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Emma Lady Rose. And I'm at Claire E. Fallon. We'll be back next week with another summer loving classic. And in the meantime, we will be doing a bonus episode on Gabby and Rachel's guys. So keep an eye out. Stitcher.